In Revelation chapter 22, we're going to read down the verse 6. 6 really begins the next section, but 6 is the perfect ending for this section as well. It says, And he showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of the God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, neither need for the lamp nor the light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and forever. And he said unto me, These things, these sayings, are faithful and true. The Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto us his servants the things which must shortly be done. So we've been looking at this for a number of weeks now. Uh, John originally showed after heaven and earth flee away the creation of a new heaven and a new earth and the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband he gives us some of the conditions in that city and then he tells us how this angel then shows him the city first from a great distance certainly because of its size And then John comes closer and begins to get some of the measurements and so forth, the walls and and different things. And now, for the first time in chapter 22, he kind of enters into the city. He goes within the walls. And, you know, you look at this and think, this is the last thing that God has to say to us. This is the completion of his eternal word. These are the very last things he would say to us. And it's remarkable what he places before our hearts. And it's so important because it says the hope that we have is an anchor to our soul. There's anything on the news or going on around you today that can be an anchor, is there? There's nothing that's steadfast. Everything is changing and transitioning. There's nothing stable. And yet the Lord Jesus, he'll put these things before our hearts, these last images. In fact, in verse 5, where he says that we will reign forever and forever, that phrase forever and ever in the Greek is the strongest possible term, meaning without end. So this is our destiny. This is our home forever and forever. You'll note, as we study through, 12 times in these verses, you have the word and. Now, in Greek structure, it's called a polysyndeton, and it means that each time it says and, it emphasizes the importance of the thing that follows it. So each each and marks off an individual thing that we're so that we, we can't spend that much time on each and this morning, but as you read on your own, you read through this and this, and that, and this, and that. It's wonderful the way 
that is being marked off. So we're closer than any generation of the church has ever been to experiencing these things, and we're closer than we were a week ago. Right? So here we go. Let's look at this. It begins by saying, And he showed me, he is the angel that he's been talking with, and he showed me a pure river. That's how we know it's not earth. None of you have seen one of those. Of water of life, not the water of life, of water of life. The It isn't its water characterized by life. It is water that is life. This flowing, proceeding, this river is life itself. It isn't, it doesn't say there's a river bed here. It doesn't say that it's wet. We don't know. Uh, it doesn't say it's flowing or running. It's proceeding from the throne, this river of life. It's clear, it's luminous, it's, sh- it's shining, there's a light to it, and it's clear as crystal. And notice this, it's proceeding, its origin is out, out, ek, of, out of the throne singular of God and of the Lamb. So, uh, interesting, during the millennium, the Lamb has a throne in Jerusalem, God has a throne in heaven, We now are in the eternal state where there is a throne, singular, one throne, and that is the throne of God and of the Lamb. And look, as we look at this scene, as we enter into this city, who do you know that deserves to be there? You know, as we measure these things out as best we can, as God's Holy Spirit brings them to our heart, and we realize this is beyond comprehension. The beauty and the power and the richness, this thing that comes to us, who in the world is worthy of this? You know, none of us are, and yet here in this world, in our small way of measuring things, we look up and down at each other, we judge each other. You know, the Lord said all men would know we're his disciples by the love we have one for another. When we stand here, you know, We know that nobody perfect ends up there because it's not just the throne of God. If it was just the throne of God, we wouldn't need the cross. It's the throne of God and the Lamb. Throne singular of God and the Lamb. And what Christ has done will be part of reigning throughout eternity and certainly a part that you and I will need. So we we look at this picture there's no sea. The river's not running to the ocean. There's no sea. Does the river run out each of the 12 gates? I don't know. Does it run out from under the foundations? We don't know. Does it just dissipate? We don't know. It, it, it runs or it proceeds forever, and its origin is the throne, actually out of the throne. In the millennium, there's a river that runs out of the, the temple past the altar. This is a river not of water, of life itself, and it's flowing from the throne, the very throne of God and the Lamb. 
is supplies this and it runs and it runs and it runs it it proceeds and proceeds and proceeds verse 2 tells us this and it, and it's a little bit hard to to interpret in some sense it says and in the midst of the street of it it there seems to be the river so there's a street of it the river and so in the midst of the street, now here's an end. And he wants you to think about this. On either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. So in the midst of the street of it, there is a street of the river. And when you, you know, read through the quote unquote scholars, some are saying, well, there's the rivers in the middle with the, the street on either side of it and the, the 12, you know, the, the tree of life growing alongside of that. Some say, well, there is the street in the middle, the rivers alongside of it, and in between, there's the tree of life growing. You know, it's like they're trying to d describe the Roosevelt Boulevard or something. They're trying to figure, how do we put this together? How do we make the description work? You know, look, it doesn't say that the river proceeds, that it's flowing in a riverbed. There's no gravitational force here. This is a river of life. Do we have an avenue? Just suggesting, do we have a street? And is the river running, flowing over top of it? Can you walk right through the river? Is it life itself flowing from the throne of God, the street running under it, and the tree of life growing on either side? I don't know. And look, we're going to get there, and some of you are going to say, hey, Pastor Joe, you really bungled this one up. And I'm going to say, why are you still picking on people in heaven? You know? <laughs> So we're not sure, you know, here, here's this, this proceeding river of life itself. Does it, does it flow towards all the gates? Does it, how does it, you know, how does it proceed? It is unending in its issue from the throne of God and of the Lamb. There's a street, pure gold, clear as glass, related to its progress. And then there's the tree of life there. You remember in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, it said, And God placed in the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And God told Adam and Eve, There's one, you can eat anything. All this huge, beautiful Garden of Eden. How many acres? We have no idea. Hundreds. We don't know. And he said, There's just one tree that you're not supposed to eat from. They said, Where's that one? You know, like us, you know. And it, that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Evidently, before they ate of that tree, they could have eaten of the tree of life. But once they fall, then God places a cherubim, Genesis 3.24, to guard the way to the tree of life because God didn't want them to live eternally in their fallen state. 
But this is Eden restored. It's going to say no curse. There's a, a better river than the one that flowed from Eden. There's the tree of life that we can partake of. There's at least four verses in the book of Proverbs that say this is like a tree of life. When this righteousness happens, it's like a tree of life. When hope that's been deferred is restored, it's like a tree of life. A tongue that's gracious, it's like a tree of life. You know, the, he, he, he mentions those things as we go through. Revelation chapter 2, speaking to the church of Ephesus, says to him who overcomes, he will be able to eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. That's the picture we're getting here. So there's this tree of life. It's singular. There's an article, the tree of life. But no doubt the picture of it is it, it's growing along this street, along this river. Tree of life, a species. Look, the largest, well, the second largest organism on earth, because the first largest organism on earth is some mold that started growing up in Seattle and kind of covered everything. There's a lot of things like that out in Seattle. But the second largest organism on earth is, is the aspen forest. All of those trees are one tree. All of their roots are connected underground. So is this, if it can happen here, here's an unfallen version of it, you know, is this tree of life one tree that spread through the whole city that there's access everywhere? I don't know. I don't know. I can't wait. We're going to see it together. You're going to be there. If you're not saved this morning, you need to make sure you're missing out here. Okay? And it says that this tree of life, river of life, tree of life, that it bears 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month and the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nation. Now, scholars are not agreed. Does it mean that each month it bears one of these 12 fruits? Well, it tells us there's no sun, there's no moon. Are there months? Are there years? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Some scholars feel that it means monthly it's bearing these 12 fruits. There's never a harvest season. It just constantly produces. You know, we have this big cold peach sitting in the refrigerator at home. My wife was trying to save it for the grandkids, but if I get alone with it, <laughs> I love a cold apple. I love cold grapes. I love a big cold peach like that. I love, I love it. Well, imagine what this is going to be like. So we'll be able to eat there. Jesus in his resurrection asked if they had anything to eat. That's how they knew it was him. And uh, they gave him, you know, bread and fish and you know, we'll be able to eat there. No cow. You don't need Jenny Craig. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. <laughs> this tree bearing 12 manner of fruits. And again, months. We don't understand what time is like there. Um, there's no night, so there's never a time without light. Each month, we're not sure exactly if John is just describing what that means remarkably um, verse 23 in the last chapter says the city had no need of the sun neither of the moon to shine it for the glory of God did lighten it and it tells us by the way and the lamb is that light of it 
down here tells in verse 5, there shall be no night there, and uh, they need no lamp, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light. So we don't know what months are there years. We don't know any of that here. It's just he gives us this description. It's what God wants us to know. And he said, all right, this is enough for now. When we get there, it says in the ages to come, we're still going to be learning of his grace. This city will speak our inheritance, you know, incorruptible, undefiled. The Greek phrase fadeth not away means it never gets old. It never wears out. Never. Each experiential moment will be as overcoming as the first glimpse that we have of it. It'll never grow old. So here, time, we don't know. Look, and then it says, and the leaves of the tree, tree of life, were for the healing of the nations. Now, what does that mean? We, we know, next verse says there's no curse there. We've already been told there's no death, there's no sorrow, there's no sickness there. So what does it mean for the healing of the nations? The word in the Greek is therapui. We get therapy from it. It's used four times in the New Testament. Twice it's translated healing, and twice it's translated household. It talks about a household with a steward. The idea is there's care that's given there. Um, Some of the classic Greek authors used it as beautification. Sometimes it just meant health. Sometimes it meant to be served. It, It seems to be a therapy here. There's no healing from sickness. So it's for the healing, it says, of the nations. There's some therapy. There's some beautification from the leaves. How does that happen? I don't eat leaves. I eat fruit. So I'm not sure. I just rub up against those leaves. However it is, it's like catnip, you know. Uh, you know, just however it is, there's a therapy. There's something just the, in just the leaves. Are, is it just in their beauty? Is it just in the way that they hang? Is there something therapeutic to just experience it? I don't know. I don't know. I'm ready. And notice, too, it says it's for the healing of the nations, plural. And that's a that's a question mark. It's a problem. What are, are these? Again, some say these are nations outside of the city. They have to be nations of those that are born again. There's no sin. All that's gone. So they would be like Adam and Eve and, and no Satan to tempt them. Would that then be perpetual paradise, those nations? They would have to be resurrected. Jesus said to the Sadducees in the resurrection, we're like the angels of God. We neither marry nor are given in marriage. There's no, you know, how do we figure, how do we put this together? I don't know the answer to that. Is it just speaking about the nations that have come and filled the cities? God's gathered us out of every nation. I think the wonderful thing for me, as I watch the news today, and I look at this where God's mentioning the nations You can write this down. God is not a globalist. Satan is a globalist. He tempted Jesus and said, here's all the kingdoms of the world and all the glory of them. They're given unto me and to whomsoever I will give all of them. Globalism in this world, there may be people with good intentions thinking we need to have a global community so we don't set off nukes and incinerate each other. But there are also dark forces 
And there are people who think they're so much smarter than we are because they're billionaires and trillionaires, and we're just peons. You know, we're like ducks walking around pecking on stupid stuff. And if they don't look out for us, we'll never make it. Globalist. God is not a globalist. He believes in villages, in communities, in nationalities, in races, in tongues, in tribes. He designed all of that. It's all, those are all facets of his genius and his creation. God is not a globalist. This is headed somewhere wrong. God is not a globalist. He believes in nations. Eternity proves that. It's for the healing of the nations. Okay, so we have and on either side, and the leaves. Now we have and there shall be no more curse, which means it's a polysynonym, and you need to think about this. No more curse. What took place in Eden is revoked. No more curse. It's wonderful. That means no more sickness, right? No more thorns and thistles. No entropy. Things are not breaking down. There's no weeds. No mosquitoes. No chihuahuas. Well, they're part of the fall. You know, they must have been beautiful dogs before the fall. Now they're this little, and their eyes are drooling. You know, there's, there's no chihuahuas there, you know. The curse is gone. <laughs> the curse is lifted. How wonderful. We look at this and we think about it. You know, our bodies are going to be fashioned like unto his glorious body. There's no more curse. There's nothing that separates us from God any longer. This corruption has put on incorruption. This mortal has put on immortality. There's no labor. There's no pain. There's no sickness. There's no more curse. Think. The word but there in verse 3 is chi. It's and again. And the throne of God, throne singular again, of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. It has said that before that the river proceeds from the throne of God and from the Lamb, the origin there, the throne. Here the idea is he will rule eternally. And the throne of God and of the Lamb. Two, two entities is speaking of. One throne. Throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. It's the location of God's throne in the city. Here's our next end. And his, singular, servants shall serve him. And his douloi, slaves shall serve, present tense, shall slave continually for him. Now it's going to say will reign forever and ever. So these are king slaves. You know, servant leaders, Gil calls them. These are, these are kings that are slaves. Understand this. Look, 
When John wrote this, there were 60 million slaves in Rome, 6 million citizens. And slavery throughout human history has been a cruel abuse of image bearers, of one people subjugating another people in a cruel way. It was cruel in Rome. It was cruel through Europe. It was cruel in this country. But this is where slavery reaches its climax and its purpose. And this is where slavery is put in front of us and say this was always the epitome and the purpose of slavery. And every form of it in this world is an abuse. But his slaves will slave for him there. And it's not demeaning. It's not subjugating. It's, it's with a joy. It's with a fulfillment. We find our place. We are kings that slave for him. He is the king of kings. And this remarkable picture is put in front of us there by using, and John doesn't pull back because Paul wrote that him and Timothy were slaves, doulos, of Jesus Christ. They didn't pull back at all from saying that. Because they see here, you know, you had in Exodus 21, you have the story there of the bond slave, you know, and, and, and how he decides he wants to stay in his master's house and pierce my ear, and I've, I've attained, and I can't imagine being anywhere else but serving you. And it's here. We're giving our will to him. Look, when God created Adam and Eve, put them in the Garden of Eden, he granted them freedom. He didn't make them little robots like iRobot. I saw that on TV again the other day. You know, he didn't make them little androids saying, I love you, God. I'll obey you, God. I love you, God. Because he made man, it tells us here, so that he could be face to face with man. He could love man. And there's no love without freedom. And man chose to rebel. God granted him a free will. You and I now have come to Christ of our free will and said to him, our will is now yours. Take my mind, take my heart, get me out of this mess. I'm no good inside. You need to give me a new heart, a new mind. You need to take my will. And this is where it finds its ultimate purpose. And the slaves of Christ in eternity are kings. And there is no demeaning idea that's involved here. So it, it says that his slaves, his servants, shall serve him, the next and, and they shall see his, singular, his face. They shall see his face. Look, you know, here's God ending the Bible. Verse 6, exhortations begin, but this is the end of the narrative, you know. Verse 6 begins a postscript possibly, you know, uh, a prelude to the whole book. We're not sure. But here, he's wrapping things. And one of the last things that God has to say is, we're going to be face to face. We're going to be face to face. And every time we see his face, we'll be like the very first time we saw his face. It'll never grow old. It'll never not be mind-blowing. It will always be more incredible because our perception of the city, our perception of eternity, our perception of the throne of God and of the Lamb who hung on the cross for us, that will always increase. So every time we see him face to face, 
it'll fill us more with wonder. Now look, and there's eternity, so every one of us in this room will have time to sit alone with him. What will that be? We won't have to, oh, I'm a dirty, you know, I'm this, I have bad thoughts. I'm this. No, that's all gone with open face. Moses, you know, was told by God, I'll show you my glory, but nobody can see my face and live. It says we do see God in the face of Jesus Christ, but here we see him in his glory, and you and I will sit with him face to face. When we see him for the first time, what will that be like? Will he smile? I know he's not going to say, I can't believe you got in. (laughs) You know, will will love just pour forth for him? What will it be like the first time, forget everybody else in this room, you personally, me personally, as an individual, what will it be like the first time we see him face to face? Imagine that. With nothing to cause us to cower in our being or pull back. God is saying, this is the plan of eternity. This is when it's all rolled out. This is when I finally get everything the way I want it. This is the order that I have. This is the way it all ends. And you guys in Calvary, Philly, in the end of the age, watching the world fall apart around you, I want you to understand that you and I are going to sit face to face. (laughs) Imagine. He wants us to think about that end. And they shall see his face, the next end. And his name shall be in their foreheads. I don't don't know. His name's going to be in our foreheads. Uh, The priest in the Old Testament had a a mitre that said Jehovah. You know, God's name was there. Um, We're told in uh, Revelation chapter 3, chapter 2, I think it's uh, Pergamos, might be Thyatira. No, I think it's Pergamos that, that he's going to give us a stone with a new name in it. Tells us in chapter 14 the name of God was on their forehead, the 144,000. Here it tells us, and it doesn't give us the details, his name shall be in their foreheads. We know that's a, that's a much better deal than 666 in your forehead, right? Because there, there are his slaves too. There are those who are going to slave for him. We are the slaves of the Most High God, and his name is going to be in our forehead. Just, uh, I just, whatever it is, when we get there, I'm going to like it. I'm going to like it. He just put these things in front of us for our heart's sake. And the next end, there shall be no night there. Just think of that. No night. Think of what goes on in the dark around here. Think of neighborhoods you don't want to be in when it's dark. Think of night. Think of darkness. You know, people that are in outer darkness, that have refused Christ, that for eternity are separated in the lake of fire, there's never light there. There's never light. It's outer darkness. Here it says, in this environment, there's no night. And it says, and... They need no lamp. There were no candles till centuries after this that, were, that had a wick that were made of wax. 
These were all lamps that John knew. Nobody needs an artificial light of any kind. Neither the light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light. The Lord God giveth them light. We don't need light the way we understand it today. We don't need bulbs. We don't need lamps. We don't need the sun. Everything we understand about light has changed because the Lord God giveth. The ETH on the end tells you that's a present tense. Is continually giving light. What is that like? Look. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, it was void. You know. And then God says, let there be light. The Hebrew says, God said, light be, light was. It's not till the fourth day he makes the sun and the moon and the stars. He calls them light bearers, something to blame the light on. But he creates light when there's no source of light, because he himself is light. Let there be light. We need a bulb. We need a flashlight. We need the sun. We need something. Not God in creation. And now it says we don't need any of those things because the Lord God continually gives forth light. And what will that light be like? Listen, he gives it forth and it sparkles through this river of life. It sparkles on this street that's clear as glass made of gold. It must sparkle through these trees. It sparkles through the walls of, of the walls of jasper and the foundations of precious stones. Everything in the city is reflecting and refracting light, and there's a continual giving of it from the person of God himself. And it's not light like we have known or understood. I'm ready. The Lord God giveth them light. And then the end says, And they shall reign, the servant kings, they shall reign, and then it says, forever and forever. The, the phrase in the Greek that gives us the greatest sense of there's no never any end to it. Now, what does that mean, reign? Reign over who? Reign where? You know, uh, It says there's going to be nations. What does that mean? We know this. God does not retire. It's not like when he finally gets to this place, he starts getting Social Security or something, right. Medicare. This is the beginning for him, not the end. He's finally get everything in a sense where he wants it. What happens then? What are nations? Where will we reign? How do we serve? You know, well, well, he doesn't even bother to go. He just says, okay, here's the dribs and drabs you need to know as you're traveling through that miserable situation you're in. And if you take these things seriously, it'll be enough to hold you. It'll be enough to keep you until I can get you home. You know, when the Queen of Sheba saw Solomon's temple, she said, the half hath not been told me. When we see this... We don't have fractions small enough. Uh, the quadrillionth hath not been told me. You know, I mean, just imagine what this will be like. Now, verse 6, which, which kind of begins the next section, but ties this whole section together. And he said unto me, the angel is still speaking, These sayings are faithful and true. 
And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants things which must shortly be done. Listen, the first verse of the book says, The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. He said the first thing in the first verse, he's saying again here as he wraps things up. Remarkable. And look, he says these words are faithful and true. Because people are going to read through this, particularly in our, you know, technical Western civilization, and say, you really believe that stuff? It's almost too good to be true. The angel's got to say, as God wraps up these images, no, no, you need to understand. What you're hearing, these sayings, they are faithful, which means dependable, trustworthy is the sense of it. You can bet your life on these things. These sayings are trustworthy and true is genuine. One scholar I read translated without fiction. I like that. These sayings, look, here we are, 2021. Where are we going? What's happening? What's going on around us? I don't want to think about it. I don't come to church and think about that. I don't blame you. But we know these things here, these are certain. What goes on around us is not trustworthy. The voices that we hear around us in the media, not trustworthy. You know, we listen to all this stuff. We hear all these people who are thinking, who do I believe? Who don't I believe? What in the world? You know, Jesus said, what I'm telling you is going to go with the church to the end of the age. And when you sit there on Sunday morning in Calvary Chapel of Philadelphia, closer to my return than any generation of the church, and the world around you is doing all of the things I told you that it would do. And the morals are pulling you down the way I said it would pull you down. And the apostasy is happening the way I said it would happen. And satanic influence is happening the way it happens. And there's hatred and lawlessness. In the middle of all that, I want you to remember that these things are trustworthy and they are genuine. These are the things you can trust in the middle of all that insanity these sayings are faithful, trustworthy, true, genuine. And look what it says. The Lord God, Jehovah, the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants. Look in verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify. So the Lord God is Jesus. The Lord God has, uh, of the holy prophets has sent his angel to show unto his slaves. Here we are again. That's what it said in verse 1 of the, of the book of Revelation. To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. He says to show unto his servants things which must, it's a necessity, must shortly be done. Doesn't mean soon you have your entaxia again there in the language. We have a tachometer. A tachometer tells you how fast your speed is increasing. Uh, you know, the idea is once these things start, they will snowball. They increase on a parabola. Look it up. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the idea is once they start, it's going to build momentum and it's going to happen more quickly and more quickly. I don't know if you've noticed the news lately. Who would have thought a year and a half ago we would be where we are now? 
And every time we think about, I can't wait till it gets back to normal. You're right. You can't wait for that because it ain't going back to normal. The world we're in right now is unraveling because there are forces behind the scenes that want globalism and want to control everybody on the planet. And there's darkness behind that. And it's increasing so quickly. Entaxia. That's where we live. We live in entaxia right now. These things are picking up momentum. They are moving faster and faster. The foot's not going to come off the gas pedal with all this insanity. But that's not what we're supposed to think about. We're supposed to say, hey, entaxia, that means Jesus is coming in any minute. Hey, the world's falling apart faster and faster. That means the new world is coming. Hey, this world is disappearing and our eternal home is, and our eternal Savior is about to interrupt all that and take us out of here and carry us across the threshold, his bride. Right? What, what hope is there? Besides that, what's your hope? The vaccine? Uh, you know, quarantine, uh, go dig a hole in the mountains and get your ammo and your rice. I mean, well, you know, what's our hope? What's our hope? Use your heads. Think we need to do, you know, if we're led to do this, we should do it. We're led to, but, but, but there's no freedom here. And any freedom here that people have misinterpreted, then they're free to have sexual sin. They're free to take drugs. They're free to divorce. They're free to raise their kids. They, they, people don't know what to do with freedom. This is where we're free. When we sit and look at him face to face, you're going to be free. And you can look into the face of Almighty God without cowering. There is no freedom that exceeds that. There is no freedom that exceeds that. This is freedom. And it's coming. And all you 70-year-old compatriots, we're all going to be 30 years old. We're going to have a new body. Praise the Lord. And it's going to stay the same forever. Ain't never going to get old or wear out. I'm looking for the new model. An upgrade, right? Software stays the same, but we get an upgrade in the hardware. I'm looking forward to that. And it's coming. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Read ahead. Read ahead now. I can only say that to you a couple more weeks in this book. Father, we thank you for these things as we look at them. Lord, we pray for anyone here who may not know you, Lord, is listening to this. And, and Lord, in, in their rational mind is saying it. This, these things are too good to be true. Lord, I pray you would draw them, Lord, up front after the service that we could talk with them and we could pray with them, Lord. You're the one, Lord, solely who does that work. It has nothing to do with us. And, Lord, we know as we read through this, there is no book in the Bible that deliberately protects its integrity and its language more than this particular book. And how, Lord, remarkable in your genius power you wanted us to be able to take these things as trustworthy and genuine. And, Lord, we can't imagine though our hearts Lord are moved by it we can't imagine what it's going to be like to see you face to face Lord. thank you Lord thank you we pray in your name Amen